Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 14. Today, we're joined by Buddy Pyland of Ozonics, where we'll be talking all things Ozonics, how to use ozone in the whitetail woods, and Buddy shares an awesome harvest story of a monster buck. Hello and welcome to the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 14. Today we are joined by Buddy from Ozonics. We're going to talk a little Ozonics, a little uh, hunting with uh, scent control, with a little assisted scent control, shall we say. Um, looking forward to the conversation with Buddy. This past year I did use some ozone uh, to help me in my hunt in Ohio. It wasn't necessarily an Ozonics machine specifically, but it kind of piqued my interest about uh, ozone, how it works and how it can be applied. And, uh, if it's something I should consider, you know, long-term and I figured if I'm considering it, I'm sure there's a bunch of folks out there who are, uh, who are, ha- have either used it, have, you know, maybe dabbled in it a little bit and would maybe like to learn a little bit more about it. So I thought, why not have the folks from Ozonics come on and kind of share some knowledge with us and see if we can't, uh, can't figure out whether or not this is something we want to use going forward. But, before we get into all that, I am always, as always, well, not not as always, but as most often, joined by my uh, fellow co-host, Phil Marchek. How's it going, man? It's going, and uh, it's going well. I was actually thinking about this Ozonix thing, and, uh, you know, we could probably use it in the, uh, in the bedroom, because our bulldog, he just got some odors to him all night long, so if we could kind of use that to cover a blanket over him, that'd really, uh, really be nice. Yeah, sure. Blame it on blame it on the dog, man. <laughs> you know what? I gotta push blame where I can. It's tough around here. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, you're about to have another one too, man. So not a dog, but uh, you're about to have a. a <laughs> well, you know, another. my my wife's got some talent, you know. 
Right. She, <laughs> she's got some genetic talent, man. She can pull off some crazy stuff. But uh, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. So I used a little bit of ozone of the uh, variety that you would use in your truck whenever I was in Ohio. And, you know, I won't go as far as to say that it uh, was the end all be all or the reason why I had success that I had in Ohio. But I, I definitely will say that I felt uh, more confident in my scent control, if that makes sense. I, I usually take pretty good precautions when it comes to scent control. You know, I'm as, as neurotic as most and maybe not quite as neurotic as some uh, when it comes to that. But by and large, you know, I'm pretty uh, sensitive when it comes to my scent control. And I used a unit that is used inside your vehicle to kind of kill the, uh, the scent, you know, in your vehicle. And so I would use that on the drive to the the place that I was hopping out of the truck to climb into the timber every day. And, uh, I don't know. It, it just, I don't know if it was peace of mind or, or what it was, but it just, for whatever reason, I, I felt like I was a little bit more confident in the, in the tree with, with my scent, uh, specifically. Right. right. Um, yeah, it's, that's interesting too. Cause it's like, uh, you know, I've, I've seen people, um, use ozonics or, or some other, uh, ozone type of, uh, of scent cover. And, you know, I wonder if it's kind of like got the same effect on you to a certain extent, like within your mind as <clears throat> say like using a, uh, doing a test and using a placebo as opposed to the actual, uh, ingredient. Hey. Sometimes people think they're on something and it just changes their perception. But you know, there's gotta be something behind this because they wouldn't market it so much and people wouldn't say so many good things about it. If Right. It was, I mean, I think but, there's, there's science to, to, to back it up, but before we, before we dive into any of that, I'm going to have to dock you 10 cool deer hunter points for saying the word placebo referring to the placebo <laughs> effect on a deer hunting podcast. Like you just went all highbrow on me and Sorry. I don't quite know how I feel about it. I apologize. And, uh, I'll drink to that. Yeah, there you go. Knock it, knock it down a few notches, yeah. buddy. We're talking deer. Well, don't worry. We'll we'll take a couple down, and that will certainly knock me down. Right. But uh, so, what's going on, man? What have you been up to? I know you and I haven't had a chance to really talk much lately with like the uh, you know the 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 post Thanksgiving you know rush toward the the Christmas holiday, right? And, right. You know, all that kind of stuff happening and, and and stuff. We haven't had a chance to to really talk a whole lot. And then don't let me forget that I do have the one real, real bonehead story that I know I've been teasing you with via text that I yeah, won't tell but I've you. Been, I've been really thinking about it. So, um, I'm a little amped to hear, but yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, 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 we'll save that one for the, for the ender. You know, it's a pretty bonehead thing. Cause I'll want to exit the conversation and get buddy on the line shortly thereafter. Nice. I promise. All right. <laughs> uh, you know, um, well, it was the beginning of rifle season. Uh, right after Thanksgiving, so uh, I got some time in the stand for a little bit. I had a really uh, interesting encounter um, with the uh, the first doe that I took a crack at, and uh, I initially thought that I didn't I didn't hit it. And uh, you know, long story short, I want to keep us, but I ended up tracking it across two of my neighbors' yards, um, which was about I would say 200 yards from where I took the initial shot in the field, and uh, I knocked on the uh, the second neighbor's door to ask if I could track and <laughs> he says let me just put my shoes on I'm thinking why would you put your shoes on I was just asking if I can go across your yard and uh, maybe he wanted to take a walk with you yeah man you know hold my hand that's fine too yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he takes me over to his garage like in the shade area and he's like you know I about half hour ago I look out the window and there's this deer in my yard and I'm thinking the gods just dropped a doe in my yard <laughs> and I'm like get out of here <laughs> If, so, if, so he's, so if he's the said, Lord's name was Phil. Yeah, right? You're welcome. 
So, uh, so I said, oh man, I, I, that's great. I'm, I'm glad you actually pulled it out of the sun and into the shade for me. Like that's a, a big, uh, a big step. And I was like, you know, I'll, I'll certainly kick you over some meat if, uh, if that's something you're interested in. He's like, yeah, absolutely. But, um, you know, it was just really, really nice etiquette. I was really appreciative of, of him, uh, of him doing that. So, uh, you know, it's, that's a, that's a little, uh, little nice story, I think, to kick this off with. Right. A little bit of a uh, hope in humanity, shall we say. I know I saw, I forget where it was at. I was just reading somewhere and I feel like it's one of the, the followers, one of our, one of the folks who tunes in and, and follows us on Facebook who right. had, um, took a nice deer and it ran to the, to the neighbors, mm-hmm. you know, when it went across the property line. Um, and from what I was gathering from the overall conversation, it seemed to be not of your average variety uh, buck. It seemed to be something of a little bit more uh, of higher caliber, shall we say? Right. And uh, something that you would you. I mean, not that you don't want to recover all of them, but you know, for it, it just there's additive in, added incentive to, <laughs> to sure. make the recovery. <laughs> that one really um, hurts. <laughs> yeah. And uh, apparently, the guy who or the people I don't know if it was a guy, man or woman or whomever it is mm-hmm. that owned the adjacent property does not hunt. Uh, I don't know that they necessarily despise hunting or anti-hunters or whatever the case might be. Right. Uh, but they uh, did not allow this this uh, gentleman to retrieve his his kill, and from what I gathered from the conversation, was not going to do anything about going to retrieve it either. Oh, which is get a shame. out. Yeah. So I mean, shame. you know, look, people have the right to manage their property as they as they see fit. I don't have a problem with. You know, well, I shouldn't say I don't have a problem with it. I don't understand it, but right, it's their right. property. It's their right. I know some states, if I'm not mistaken, that if game goes onto another property, you can call the game warden and they have the right to then go get it or to grant you access to it, even if even if you don't own the property. Mm-hmm. I think that's true in some states. I might be off base here, but um, I just can't agree with someone who's not going to go get it. I mean, if you don't want to let someone go get it and it's crossed the property line and you want to take it, then, you know, I don't agree with that, but it's your property, you know, but at, at, least least do, at least do something. Like, don't let it go to so, waste, you know? Right. At least someone's using the animal and that's, and, that, and that's fine, whatever. Um, but to not let someone go, you know, gather their, uh, their, the, the deer that they're tracking and you're not going to do anything about it and just let it there to, to go to waste is, uh, I don't know. I just don't get that. I don't understand it. No, I but, agree. I agree. Yeah. So fortunately that guy, uh, or your neighbors let you, uh, grab yours. Did you take any meat over to him yet? No, actually, I'm going to. I uh, I just had a bunch of uh, the venison sticks made, um, and you know, he I was going to give him uh, some of the hind quarter, and he was asking me questions about how to cook it and, and so on and so forth. Uh, so I figured I would have I'd give him the venison sticks because they're pretty much done and ready to go, and he doesn't have to fuss with cus- with uh, cooking and whatnot. So yeah, venison um, sticks. Do you keep those refrigerated? I do. Um, you know, okay. I free, I freeze, I, I, I vac seal most of them and I freeze them uh, throughout the year and uh, I, I'll thaw them and uh, just dehydrate them a little bit, you know, whenever um, right. I basically eat the last batch. And uh, yeah, I'll keep them in the fridge in like a, like a Tupperware container or some, or, you know, something similar and uh, just go in, grab one when I want, snack. Sometimes grab five, you know. Sometimes what? five. Sometimes I'm drinking, you know. Right. <laughs> the reason I ask is because I usually don't get sticks made. I usually turn everything into like burger and steaks and right, roast right. and, and so forth. But my, my stepdad, he does make sticks just about every year. And uh, he usually always gives me a big package of them because my, my daughter likes them. Mm-hmm. And last year, I brought a big bundle of them home and I 
he he grabbed them from his basement and I assume they were in the refrigerator, but I didn't know that when he brought them up. He just brought up a big package of them and was like, here, right. have have a bunch of deer sticks. I was like, awesome. Because, I mean, I've made deer bologna growing up. I've made, you know, uh, jerky, but oh, I never yeah, really made yeah. sticks growing up or anything like that. And it was something he started doing, you know, much later after I was gone out of the house and stuff. Um, so he brought up the uh, sticks and gives me a big bundle and we bring them home and we just threw them in like the, the pantry and we kept, oh, we kept, we kept eating them and eating them and eating them. And then they came down to visit and, uh, my mom was in the kitchen and my mom and stepdad were in the kitchen and my daughter's like, I want a snack. And I was like, oh, I was like, I'll grab you. You want a deer stick? And she's like, yeah. So I go over to the pantry and grab a deer stick and they both look at me. They're like, do you keep those? Again? And I'm like, yeah. I was like, they've been in there since you've given them to me like six months ago. And, uh, they're like, like, Twinkies. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, you know, the good news was, is that none of us got ill. You're still here, right? Yeah. yeah, (laughs) I I don't know that any of the illness that we had, I can contribute to it. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But, you know, so now I put them in a refrigerator. Yeah. 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 So, (laughs) yeah, solid move. But so I guess before we get, uh, before we get Buddy on the line, I should share my uh, let's, let's, my bonehead of the month story. Please, yeah, please. so I'm salivating and th- right now. And this is painful. Okay. It's, it's painful to relive, quite honestly. Um, so you know that I like you know and those who are, are listening know that I like to go to the range quite a bit. It's one of it's probably one of my favorite things to do, whether Ooh, it's during the that. season yeah. or out, out of the season. <laughs> um, you know, if it's when I have the the time of year when I have sufficient daylight, you know, I'll often go after work, which is nice because I'll get you know two or three days a weekend at least. And if now that the the darkness sets in a little earlier, I usually don't get out of work in time. So it's usually at least every Saturday, if not every Saturday and Sunday, I go to the range and shoot for like an hour. Right. And so it was I. Did didn't go what week was it two weeks ago i guess it was two weeks ago uh i i didn't shoot for like a week or so or whatever i took like a week or two off just because i'd been shooting a lot and i went hunting and i felt like i should probably just be home on the weekends and stuff like that since i wasn't going out to hunt because i didn't hunt at all during rifle season i didn't go out one day um kind of i was gone a lot for archery season during the rut and stuff like that so i felt like i should probably just stay home and spend some time with my with my family and stuff it goes right. back to that conversation we had before with the you know the the work life yeah, balance, family man. hunting balance type That's of right. thing so um so it was uh, like two weeks ago and i was like you know what i'm gonna go to the range i haven't shot in like two weeks or so and my daughter hadn't been out in a little while and like the it wasn't all that cold so i was like hey you want to go to the range she was like yeah so we grabbed her bow and grabbed my bow drove over get to the range and we're shooting there's a there's a guy there that's shooting before you know as we as we get there and i set my daughter up there's like a little 3d target that's maybe seven to ten yards away that she pretty much shoots at because she can just kind of stand there and shoot on her own and she's out of the way so i don't have to worry about her walking in front of anybody and stuff like that right and uh i rip off a couple arrows and you know i was like man i was dialed in like i was feeling good it was the first time i had shot since i killed my buck basically and I was I was on the money from like 40 yards, mm-hmm. which was, you know, kind of my max range. And then I started shooting out the 50 and I was just like, you know, I was like, all right, if I'm shooting, if I continue to shoot like this, it's like I can start to extend my range to 50 because I was really kind of dialing it in. Right. So I start talking to the guy and we, we start uh, kind of. Uh, just chatting and he you know we start talking deer hunting and getting sidetracked and he went to school for like wildlife management and biology so we started talking like habitat management and of course I mentioned that we have this podcast and a blog and stuff like that right you know we're cutting up and my daughter's slinging arrows and she hit a couple bullseyes and she started grouping some some arrows together which I was super pumped about because I just started letting her use her 
use her sights. I just finally put a sight and a peep sight on her bow, like oh, okay. you know, within nice. like the past month or so. Nice. And so she started grouping some arrows. So she was super excited. She calls me over. I go over and look, and it's like I'm like, good job, kiddo. And uh, so I went back over and I start talking to to this guy again. And another guy shows up and he starts talking and. So the first guy I started talking to, he's over his car getting ready to put his stuff away, puts his stuff away. I put my, I pick my bow up, go to knock an arrow. He comes over to shake my hand. He's like, Hey man, it was great to meet you. You know, I'll see you later. I'll catch up with you. Hopefully run into you sometime. I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Shook his hand. I draw my bow back, let it, slide it in, let it go. And I was like, that doesn't sound like it's supposed to. And I dry fired my bow. (laughs) Yeah. So that I guess, is. Like, I'm, I'm gonna be all professional right now. Hold on, watch this. Yeah. <laughs> so I got, I got, I got to say that. Now. Oh man, man, it. I I almost threw up. <laughs> it was the worst feeling that I've had in in a while. Like I immediately thought I blew my bow up. Like I just I could not believe I had just done that. And I was thinking through it. I was like, how did I just do that? Like how do I dry fire a, my bow? Right. I was like, you know, and it's just. And I was like, my daughter was talking to me, you know, and I was kind of watching her because it was the first time I've really put her on her own over to the side and letting her shoot. And then this did, guy was leaving. And I literally you picked you knocked up, an arrow? No. See, I picked, I went to knock the arrow. Oh, I picked it up didn't. out of the holder. Uh, okay. and, I, and, and as soon as I picked it up, he came over to shake my hand. And so I put it back down and I shook his hand. <laughs> and it was starting to get dark out. So I was kind of in a hurry because I didn't. I think I only fired three arrows because I was talking to him most of the time, right? Uh, which was fine. He's a great guy. It was good to get to meet him. You know, it's I'm always interested in, to meet hunters and stuff, especially when I'm at the range. It's right. always awesome to get to catch up with those folks. Um, but yeah, I thought that I had knocked an arrow and just totally went on autopilot and didn't even think about it. And wow. so the good news was, is the next day I took it to a pro shop and, uh, and uh, the string was okay. Okay. Uh, the cams were okay the um uh the limbs were fine so i didn't crack limbs right. or anything like that uh there was one piece and now i'm forgetting what what it's what it's called now that was slightly bent and it's the uh, i can't remember what they're called i should know this um i can't remember what it's called but there was two small pieces that were that were slightly bent there was one actually that was bent and they come in pairs so i bought a new set of those and gotcha. had them put on gotcha. um and uh and now I've been dialing my bow back in. So now it's like anytime I'm slightly off, I'm trying to determine whether or not my bow is not shooting <laughs> properly or if it's me because now I'm just like nervous about it. Right. Well, I'll tell, um, I'll tell you what. I mean, if you took it to the shop and they checked it out and they replaced the part, something that my dad would always tell me growing up whenever, uh, you know, I would just have a bad day at the range or, or just, you know, I'm not, I'm not shooting well. It's more than likely user error. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like then I shot some arrows this weekend and I like fully Robin Hooded one where yep, it's like saw that I, one. <laughs> yeah, where it was like literally it was stuck into the back of it, it came out as one long, super long arrow. Um, so I was like, yeah, my bow is shooting fine. Like anything that I'm doing is just me being apprehensive about shooting my bow and right. waiting for something to go wrong. So. Um, now it's now I have that fun chore of playing the mental game of trying to get my my <laughs> stuff back together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but with that, as I said, I wanted to make that the last thing so I could quickly uh, save a little bit of dignity and run out of here and yeah. and, and, and and use the uh, disguise as having to dial Buddy in as my excuse to run. But we yeah. do have to dial Buddy in because he is awaiting our phone call. Let's, so uh, let's certainly switch gears on that. <laughs> yeah. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get Buddy on the horn. 
But before we dial Buddy in, let's take a quick break for a word about our partners at Exodus Outdoor Gear. Today's Exodus experience is again from Josh Fowler, who explains what their five-year no BS warranty means to him. So you, you don't offer a five-year warranty on a product unless it was designed and tested to last that long without failure the majority of the time. You know, that, that for me as a customer, that five-year warranty tells me loud and clear that this is a rugged, robust camera unlike anything else in the market and was built to last. It's just, it's an enormous endorsement by them. And it puts me, the consumer at ease when I'm spending 200 or a little over $200 on a camera. Cause you know, up until I found Exodus, I was spending a hundred, you know, 120 bucks on a camera, hoping it was going to last me a year or two. I don't mind spending a little bit more for an Exodus camera that has top notch specs, top notch support, but I know is going to last me a minimum of five years. And, you know, a, you know, as a public land hunter, when I have cameras on a public land, it's also nice knowing that if someone does walk away with it, I can get one at, at half off. I mean, these are things that they wouldn't be able to do if they were in, you know, big box retail, but their direct-to-consumer model provides them that flexibility. And I just, I love the way they've, they've gone about doing things. And that was another Exodus experience. Their five-year no BS warranty is absolutely industry-leading. And if you'd like to learn more about Exodus Trail Cameras, please visit them at exodusoutdoorgear.com. And now back to the show. All right, we are joined today by Buddy Piland of Ozonics. Uh, as I'd mentioned at the top, we are, uh, we're looking forward to chatting with you, Buddy. Phil and I had been going back and forth a little bit on the, uh, the, on the use of ozone and hunting. Uh, I'd mentioned even that you know, I started dabbling, and I think I might even mention that in an email to, uh, to you or maybe even Glenn um, that you know, it's something I've been kind of playing around with, and it was uh, certainly interested to kind of you know, get a little bit more information about ozone in general, uh, ozonics most specifically. Uh, so super stoked to have you on. How, uh, but first, before we get started, uh, how have you been? Man, I, I've, I've been uh, I've been good. I've been a little under the weather the last few days, but outside of that, it's been uh, been really busy, but good, man. Good, yeah, I, I can totally uh, uh, sympathize with you there on the uh, little under the weather. I kind of managed to kind of fend everything off. For the past several months, and as luck would have it, I, uh, I think it's finally caught up with me. I think the Christmas holiday party that we had at our company, though, might have done me in a little bit on Saturday and helped out the uh, the sickness along a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Has, has a tendency to do uh, to do that. But, uh, you know, I was I was super glad to uh, to dial you in when we did because I was sharing a little bit of a uh, a, a humbling story of uh, accidentally dry firing my bow just a few uh, a few weeks ago, which uh, I quickly oh, left that conversation man. with Phil and I was pre-recorded to say, hey, I think it's a good time to dial Buddy in now since I just humiliated <laughs> myself. And on that note. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so I, I'm, I'm super excited in more ways than one to have you on the uh, on the line saving me to uh, to some degree. But, um, you know, oh, thanks. Man, I'm glad I could be, I'm glad I could help, man. <laughs> right. Absolutely. But Hey, before we get started d- diving into all things ozonics and, and ozone related, you know, I wanted to get just a little bit of background about, you, you know, where you're from, your profession, you know, what you do in the hunting world and then, you know, what your role is really with ozonics specifically. Okay. So, um, you know, I'm 46 years old and, and I, for the last 20 years or so, I've been a conductor for the railroad. That's my day job. Um, Ozonic's still a, you know, for the, I know a lot of people may think we're this huge, giant uh, company, but reality is we're still a very small company with only about 20 uh, employees and really only about five or six in what I would call leadership roles. 
um, maybe seven, somewhere in that, that ballpark. So I, I still have a, a full-time day job that I love. Um, and I live in Texas, spent the majority of my life down here in Texas. I, I was, I was born in the mid, well, in Colorado. So I, I guess not really in the Midwest, but, um, uh, done that, but I spent most of my life in Texas and, uh, spent a few years in the military right before I went, about six years. Uh, in the army, jumping out of airplanes, enjoyed that. And, and, uh, with Ozonix, you know, my, my best friend is a dentist, started the company, had an idea really. And, uh, we talked about it and around 2007 or well, actually Christmas of 2006, I remember him calling me and said, Hey, can you come out to the house? And, you know, uh, that January we, we went out and tested some prototypes and, and the next thing I know, uh, we start, you know, he starts the company, but I've been with it since the beginning. And so we're January will be 10 years. And, um, I was recently promoted to vice president of marketing forum. And, and that's what I do for, for Ozonics. Uh, so, so nice. in my, I split my day, you know, and by day I'm, I'm a railroader, I'm a full-time union officer. And, and, uh, in my spare time, I'm Ozonics. Nice. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, congratulations on the, uh, on the, on the, on the 10 years, man. That's, uh, that's awesome, especially for, you know, young companies, startups, uh, you know, from uh, from the, the, you know, the bootstrapping phase to, you know, where you guys are now. That's a, a commendable feat. So congrats on that. Well, I appreciate that. It's been an amazing journey and, and seriously, one of the hardest things uh, you could ever uh, attempt, you know, is, is starting a company and, and just pushing and pushing and pushing. So, right. And it's, it's interesting, your story, you know, from, you know, railroad, military to, to Ozonics. And I definitely want to jump into more specific, you know, the Ozonics, but I always like to kind of figure out how uh, everyone's hunting season has gone so far this year. So how's 2016 treated you? You know, 2016 has been, I, I started bow hunting late in life. I was 32 years old before I ever uh, picked up a bow. And, and the same time I picked up a bow was the first time I, I deer hunted. Um, and, uh, and I've since then I've been, you know, I grew into it really from duck hunting and became super passionate about it. And then this year I hit this year and you would think, you know, I'd be in the woods every day, but it's been literally so busy that I, I, I did get to go to Canada and, uh, I had 55 minutes on stand and I, it was a phenomenal year if I don't get another minute on stand, but it is, it's kind of a, you know, being on stand for most of us is kind of that, that uh that getaway right that place right. where we decompress whether yeah. we're whether we take an animal or not it, it's just a good place for us to relax and so outside of that it's been a great season but i haven't had the time in the woods that i would like right yeah i always say the uh the best sleep i ever gets the tree stand sleep for sure <laughs> you're here <laughs> <laughs> um so with that being said, I want let's let's go ahead and dive into to ozonics, you know. And before we get to all the science behind, because you know I've I've read up a, a little bit on o, o, ozonics, and you know, of course, kind of combed over all your FAQs, trying to learn as much as I can, because it's something that um, you know I'm a little bit of a technology and science nerd at at heart to a degree. So this stuff kind of tickles my fancy in in in, in a lot of different ways. Um, but I'm always interested to hear how these new and interesting ideas kind of come about. So what was the reason behind Ozonics or how you'd mentioned that your friend, that dentist friend kind of came up with the idea. So how did this idea come about and the product begin in the evolution of Ozonics? Right. So a great question. Um, so would ozone's been around. I mean, we didn't invent that, right? All we right. did was repurpose the use of ozone in the hunting industry. 
And really what it was is Scott, you know, he, he uses ozone and his dental practice and um, uses it to sanitize equipment um, and he uses the purify air. And so one day he's working on a patient and, you know, they use um, like these lasers that cauterize bleeding blood vessels in a, in a person's mouth when he's operating on them. And there's a smoke, there's an odor associated with that of burnt flesh, right? Mm-hmm. And so he, he produces this ozone in the air to get rid of that smell. So his patients don't have to sit there and smell that. And he doesn't have to smell it. Right. And he's right. just sitting there and it dawns on him. He's like, man, if this stuff is strong enough to get rid of that smell, why wouldn't it get rid of what we, you know, the normal bacteria or human odor we release residually into the downwind airstream? And so that idea began to grow because um, that was probably three years. That was probably 2004 when he really started. The idea began to germinate and, uh, um, and he started doing some research and testing. And, and again, I, you know, I go back to 2006 and then, and then January of 07 where we had these, these uh, prototype models with rheostats on them. We used motorcycle batteries and literally <laughs> like jumper cables. <laughs> that you that you would attach to the battery and then to the the um, ozone generator and then it would produce ozone. So that's kind of where it began is as and and how the thought triggered in his mind and, and and where it grew to. And obviously nobody had ever conceived of doing that in a in a hunting environment. And so um, we he was able to patent it and the process of using ozone as a molecule in, in the field to to um, manage and control and eliminate odor from the right. So, so going from I mean that's that's wild. I mean I totally you know as a person who's been to the dentist plenty of times I've experienced that cauterizing in the past, which is probably my least favorite part and my least favorite smell of the dentist. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I can totally like when, as soon as you said it, I could, I could almost smell it and it is almost like it's worse than the smell of burnt hair. And I can't imagine something strong enough that would get rid of that smell, but you're a hundred percent percent. Right. I, so I'm oh, curious. Yeah. So once you kind of got to that prototype phase, right, it's you're taking a motorcycle battery with jumper cables to kind of get this thing to kind of to ramp up at first, like how did how was this tested to kind of see if this would work in 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 a real world application or in, in a real world hunting scenario? Do you guys go through some testing well, to? Absolutely, what we did, and I mean, there's no better way to test it really than to. I mean, our intent, and still to this day, a lot of times we set up deliberately to to fail, right? So we're going right. to set up on the wrong side. We're going to go into stand locations with the wrong wind, but at it, that weekend, and I'll never forget it, the first time we ever did it, we had a, a, a one of my good friends, his best friend, had a ranch out in Uvalde, Texas, about 2,500 acres um, with free-range deer. And we went out there, and what we did is we would literally build brush blinds and weesatch. So we would cut a hole in the weesatch, and we would a guy would crawl in that hole and sit on the ground, and we would shove the battery in there, and we would use a, a horse, have you ever seen the electric fence? They're plastic posts that have a, a steel end on them, you stick in the ground, and then you can run a, an electric fence wire along the edge of it. Yeah. Well, that's what we used as our as our mount, and we would hang the ozonator from it. And at that time, we were still like a lot of people. We believe, well, I need to, I I need every scent control product out here is worried about what I smell like. And in the beginning, we were the same way. We we're like, well, we need to take a shower and ozone to kill the odor on us. 
And so we would situate it so it's dumping ozone on us and we have the battery here. And then we would set a camera between our legs and we would always set up on the, the downwind side. So our wind is blowing straight at, and, and we're in west, southwest Texas, you know, so we're hunting over feeders. So we got feeders dumping corn and then we would corn up to the guy's feet. So I'm in a stand and there would be corn at my feet. My wind would be blowing straight at the feeder. So everything is absolutely set up to fail. And they, they, I remember the first morning they dropped me off. I crawl in there. I get my camera set up, and I've got a puff bottle because they want to be able to show the wind going for the animals. And uh, it starts getting light, and I, I see I've got a young, probably eight-point, probably two-and-a-half-year-old eight-point, uh, you know, off to the right. And he hadn't kind of hadn't really worked in. And it gets a little bit lighter, and there's a couple of does milling around. And they're downwind of me, but they're – they hadn't really where I'm like, okay, they're, they're straight down wind. Um, and cause we had no idea how well it was going to work pretty soon. I, I have about 140 inch mature and, and I'm four and a half, five and a half year old deer. I, I hadn't been around that ranch once, so I couldn't tell you. And I was, I was pretty new to aging deer back then, but he's a beautiful deer. And I'd been glad to take him in a second. <laughs> right. He comes in right. Him and this eight point work their way in and pretty soon. And I've got, we still have the footage. This both of them deer end up at 10 yards from me straight downwind. But the, the younger deer literally eats corn almost to my feet. I, I'm sitting there and I, I would puff the bottle and the deer would blow up because of the noise I'm making, but they right. would come right back. <laughs> and I've got the young deer. He's so close to me that when he would check, he would lick his nose like they do. And he would, he would sniff you could see the membranes in his nostrils, you know, open and closed. And he's, I mean, I'd never been that close to a deer. Uh, this right. is five years into my bow hunting career. I'd never been that close to a deer. And he's straight down one to me. And so that afternoon when we all gathered back up, and you know, there was about seven of us, six, seven of us that had been dispersed across the ranch. And we were all set up and, and trying to film like this. And everybody had these amazing stories of stuff they'd never seen. You know, the deer literally eating at their feet, you know, inches from their boot and the deer, they couldn't smell you. And so everything kind of really snowballed from there. Of course, you know, we thought it was a no brainer. When people see this, it's, Hey, it's done. This is going to be, it's going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. The problem though is, is actually taking concept and turning into a product that's viable, right? Our, right. our first product was five and a half pounds with lithium uh, or with nickel cadmium batteries. And I, it didn't bother me. I knew how well they worked. So I used to carry two of them to the stand with me and hunt with two of those units. <laughs> in the stand That's 12, you know, 11 pounds of ozone generators. Um, but, you know, convincing people that you're not selling voodoo in a box, you know, that's been a long journey. But, uh, you know, you said it earlier, it's science, right? People can deny, uh, they can tell you all day long gravity doesn't work, but anytime they jump off the building, it's going to show them every time, right? It's a principle. And it's the same thing with ozone. It's science. Ozone, human odor in the presence of the right concentration of ozone for the right amount of time, it, it's always going to be eliminated or altered to the point that animals can't smell it. And it, it's been a, it's an amazing thing when you learn how to effectively apply it to your hunting situations. Right. It's, it's funny that you mentioned, mentioned science because I wanted to get a little sciencey here for, for a quick second. So 
because I want to understand. I, I want to help. I want to help there. I want to help the listeners. I guess kind of understand how this how this works. I guess from an odor um, dispersing, reducing. You know, whatever the uh, <clears throat> correct adjective mm-hmm. is to use there. But so O three, <clears throat> and correct me if I'm wrong here. But O three as a molecule. It, or it's creating an O3, right? Ozone, the ozonics unit is creating an O3 molecule, right? And dispersing it. Mm-hmm. And so yep. how does this molecule eliminate odor, I guess is what I'm asking. It's like, I'm assuming just from my novice understanding of, of science is that it's an unstable molecule looking to find another molecule to react with or to stabilize with. Is that somewhat right. correct? It wants, to return, it wants to return to its normal state. So so literally what, what we do when you create ozone is you take O2, which is oxygen, ambient air, right? So we suck it up through the bottom of there and we we push it across a, this highly charged coil. And it, it what it, for lack of a better term, is it fractures an oxygen molecule, it tears it apart. And when these two, when this O2 molecule has been ripped apart, when they reattach with another oxygen molecule, it forms O3, right? And it's it's this highly unstable molecule it doesn't want to be like that anymore. It wants to return to its normal state of O2. So it begins to, it wants to attach to anything it can attach to, to revert back. And so that means dust, odor, pollen, smoke, anything in the air. So, and in this case, what we're worried about is human odor. So when it attaches to that, it literally oxidizes it and, and destroys it. Um, But, and so when you talk about human odor, and here's the, the thing. I, I, I like to, I'm not a real sciencey guy. I like to talk in analogy. So what you could imagine is that a human odor bacteria is really big compared to an ozone molecule. Like imagine, um, I, I, I use this analogy all the time for people that know anything about Star Wars. If you've got this huge empire or imperial starship battleship here, and then you got all the little X-wing fighters, the X-wing fighters are like ozone molecules. They're little bitty, and they're, they attack and they're, they're destroying stuff. But a human odor bacteria is like that big starship. But every time you, an ozone molecule begins to attack human odor, it causes that, that DNA, the, the, the whatever human odor is made of, right? It's all of these chemical compounds. Nobody's ever identified it. But when it begins to attach, it begins to unravel. So even when one ozone molecule hits that human odor, and it, it destroys a small piece of it, it's no longer human at that point, right? Right. It, it's, it's, it's no longer recognizable as human. So a couple things happen here. If I can hit it with enough ozone, I destroy it completely. If I don't hit it with enough ozone, I begin to unravel it, and I change its chemical compound to the point that it's no longer human, and therefore it's not recognized as human. I alter it to the point that if it gets to the animal we're after, they may become curious, they may, they may, you know, raise their nose and start smelling, but they don't equate it to danger. Right. And that right? was actually the next yeah. thing I was going to ask was just, you know, do, have you ever experienced it? Do animals distinctly know that they're encountering something different and what type of reactions have you gotten? Has there ever been any negative reaction or is it typically just, um, curiosity and going about their business? Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing 
insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Well, no, it's, I've been hunting with ozone now, you know, hardcore for 10 years. And so I've seen just about every kind of reaction you can have. And, and in a perfect scenario, perfect situation, hunting with ozone is about time and concentration. Always remember that. I need mm-hmm. enough concentrated ozone in the downwind airstream for a long enough time that ideally I destroy every bit of odor that's released by me into the airstream. I don't have to worry about what I smell like. I just have to worry about what's being released to me. So at that point, it becomes an application issue. Am I properly placing my unit, pointing it where it needs to be? Am I dealing with the wind? Am I dealing with the, the cert, all of the circumstances that cr- are creating my hunting situation? So if yeah, ideally the animal's at 20 yards and I destroy all my odor, then you're going to get no reaction, right? He's right. going to come in. He's going to do what he does um, or she does. Now, as I talked about earlier, if you can imagine all of these little ozone molecules, right, these X-wing fighters are all over in this downwind airstream, but they're going where the air is taking them. They don't fly on their own. There's no volition of their own. The wind carries the ozone. It, it is slightly heavier than air, so it's going to fall in the absence of if there's not a, a breeze. But any kind of breeze is going to take that, the same as it's doing your odor. So now you've got this mixture. In some cases, as it begins to attack that odor, some of that odor is going to not be completely destroyed. It's going to get through. And I've seen animals, like I said, I've seen sometimes where an animal will lift its nose and walk closer to the tree. They're like, oh, what is that? You know, you, they're curious by nature anyway. Right. I've seen some where they just, their head will come up and they'll smell. I've seen some where they'll, their head will come up, they'll spin around, and they'll take four or five steps away. In that case, typically what I believe is that what they've got is that some of my odor, a small amount of it has got through unaltered and obviously not eliminated. And right. so at that point, they've got a little bit of human. They've got something that signaled danger, but there wasn't enough for them to blow them up out of there, right? I've, right. I've seen that a ton of times. Where boom, they take four or five steps, they stand there, and they turn right back around, and they come back, and they start feeding again. And right. then, of course, I've I've seen a situation where Maybe the wind has shifted on me or it swirled suddenly and a big, a, you know, enough of me got through that when it hit that animal's nose, it was game over, right. you know, and that's rare. As long as you're paying wind, you know, always being conscious of where that downwind airstream is going. And if I put, if I get my ozone into that area. Right. So it definitely, it sounds that that's awesome, man. I mean, Anytime you can get an edge in the whitetail woods is, I mean, it's a challenge. Number one, they're the smartest animals in the woods and, you know, by, by far, in my opinion, and anytime you can kind of give yourself a little bit of an edge, even if it's, you know, the, the, the scenario you were describing there where say some of my odor does get through, you know, what you're hoping for, you know, the worst case scenario is, is that that animal now thinks I'm a hundred yards away when in fact I'm 20 yards away with my bow drawn, you know, so you know, in that in that regard, I mean, that thing's worth its weight in gold. It's, it could be twenty pounds. I'll I'll carry it <laughs> to the tree stand. <laughs> That's right. Well, again, you know, like I said earlier, it's science, it's science, right? Two plus two is always four. Ozone always destroys and alters human odor. And it, so when I, when guys call me and say, "Hey, this thing's not working," at that point, it always becomes a, a conversation about what, how are you using the unit? Because you can, I can give you the best bow in the world. But if you try to shoot it upside down, 
it's not going to be effective, right? If you right. try to use it in, or if you try to hammer, um, you know, a screw instead of using a screwdriver, you have the wrong tool. And it's the same thing here, or you're using the tool inappropriately. Right. And it's the same thing with ozone. Like a, I, I used to duck hunt big time. And every time you get out into a duck hunt scenario, right, you look, where's the sun coming up? What's the wind doing? What type of ducks are we hunting? And that dictates where you're going to set up, how you're going to put your spread out. Same thing with deer hunting. All of us go to this huge, we look at topographical maps. We look at travel routes. We look at bedding areas and feeding areas. We look at the best tree. We look at great places for rut activity as opposed to, to places where we're going to do an ambush for a feeding and, and bucks on routine, you know, just that normal feeding routine. Big difference, right? Same thing when you get into a tree with ozone, you, gotta, you have to think, okay, what is the wind doing? What's the predominant wind? How do I keep track of the wind? What type of, of do I have a deep draw in front of me that's causing the wind to come up and go straight up? I, we use wind trackers a ton because a puff bottle tells you what the wind's doing three feet out. Right. But our, our, the wind, track, wind trackers, that thing will tell you what the wind's doing 300 yards out if you can still see the fiber. Right. And it's amazing. It's amazing what certain sets will do. I'm hunting in Missouri over this deep draw. And the wind would, I would drop those fibers and literally the wind, it would catch it. It would drop down about 10 feet, go to my right about 30 yards and then go straight up into the trees and be gone. <laughs> well, that's what my scent was doing. Right? right. And you would never know that with a puff bottle. Right. And so I needed to, it was the exact, it, it was the exact opposite of where I thought I needed to put my ozone. So that, Application of the technology is, is critical when people are like, hey, it's just not working for me. Either the unit's not working, which is very rare, or you have it set up wrong, right? for lack of a better way to put it. Or you've encountered a certain environmental challenge that the, wind can't, that the unit can't overcome, like super high winds, you know, and it, where your concentration of ozone is being diluted too quickly. And there's ways to counter that. Right. And I definitely want to get into some of those application things because I have a couple in just from my own hunting experiences before, but before we jump into some of, some of those. So, you know, do you feel like this is, this is effective enough when applied correctly? Cause I think that, you know, that's a good point to make. It's like people, if they're looking for a cure all for something, it's like, you know, that's, there's generally not a, uh, this magic elixir in the deer woods, right. That'll, 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 you know, you know, deliver you a 160 class deer to, to your stand whenever you do the, all the wrong things. So, you know, the application is key, making sure you're using it appropriately. Um, but is, is this something you feel you could use on its own without adhering to like other typical scent control regimens, you know, or, or do you guys still kind of prefer for folks to use some type of scent control regimen for maximum effectiveness? Well, you know, it's a great question. And and so I would, I would look at that from two approaches. Um, first off, it can, it can it provide you with effective scent control and scent management, um, standalone? Absolutely. Um, and, and that's why, you know, a lot of times for the guy who thinks he needs it the least is the guy who needs it the most, right? For, right. for the real everyday guy, like, like me and you, that we have full-time jobs, we have families. And the reality is I got an hour before dark. Do I really have time to run home, take a shower? You know, I don't. So there's a lot of times that the, the, these strict scent control regimens are are not conducive to normal hunter lifestyle, right? Limited time, limited opportunity, limited um, 
places to hunt, right? Right. There are some guys that have 40 stand locations or they've got four or five different properties where they can go, okay, I'm not going, the wind's wrong. I'm not going in there. But for the rest of the world, the reality is, is you got your buddies letting you hunt on his five acres at, at his grandma's place in the backyard and you got four days of vacation and the winds, instead of being out of the North, it's out of the South because we got a late season warm, you know, warm front. Well, what do you do? You just, you, you can't move your vacation and right. you know, if you go in there, so standalone, absolutely. Now, with that being said, there, if you have the ability to, to adhere to a strict scent control regimen, it makes the, the entire process even more effective, right? I talked about these certain environmental challenges, as you reduce residual odor on your body, right? As you cleanse your clothes, as you, if you're able to take a shower and reduce the odor on you, you re, what that does in turn is reduce the amount of odor you release in the downwind airstream, which does what? The time and concentration gain. It means that I have more available ozone to attack and destroy those imperials, those human bacteria, those imperial battleships or starships, right? Right. It's much easier for the ozone to, to do its job when you reduce the amount of odor you release in the downwind airstream. Right. And I like hearing what you, what you, what you said there, just because you're right for guys like me, you know, you and I, and, and, and Phil, of course, you know, it's like, I don't, I have a pretty strict scent control regimen, you know, but mm-hmm. for example, when I was in Ohio this year, um, yeah, I was staying in a camper and there was a, there was a shower that was, you know, 50 yards away and I didn't necessarily always get up in time in the morning to grab a quick shower. So I would do what I could on the back of the truck, which was basically wipe down with some field wipes before I would jump into the woods. And in that kind right. of scenario there, it's like having a unit that you could take to the tree with you that would give you that kind of, um, added sense of, uh, confidence, shall we say, in your, in your scent control is just, is huge, you know, for whenever you're, especially yep. when you're on you know, on location hunts where you don't have all the amenities of, uh, of being at home or being at like a, a stable deer camp, if you will. Absolutely. I like to, you know, there's some terms that I don't think have been around for a long time, but I call it active and passive scent control. The things you do to reduce the residual odor on you are passive scent control, um, uh, activities, right? The, the problem with passive scent control is it's all, it's at its most effective, the second you stop doing it at that point on, it begins to degrade. So you can't constantly spray yourself down. You can't constantly take a shower. You can't constantly um, recharge some type of special textile or clothing. As soon as you put that stuff on, it begins to degrade and lose its, its um, effectiveness with active scent control. When you couple it to with active scent control in a perfect environment, if, you know, if you're talking about a place, I would, I could literally sterilize an environment at times. If there was no wind, it would, it would actually become more effective over time in, in theory, right? Because right. ozone, as it destroys odor, it, it, it has a, a half-life, right? It begins to sit there and wait and look for something to attach to. But if there's nothing there because it's already sanitized or deodorized it, it'll sit there for a certain period of time. So in theory, again, you could literally become more effective. Now, when you marry the two for, for up, you create the perfect scenario, right? When you do take the time and have the opportunity to to reduce the residual odor on your person and then, and then use the um, ozonics 
either in the dry wash bag to to cleanse your clothes. You took a shower, then you throw it in your kinetic pack. You wear it on your back from the truck to the stand. You get in the stand, you hook it up, and you hunt with it. Nice. So now that we're we've kind of gotten you know to like we got we understand the science and we understand the the, the effective ways to to apply the technology, and let's assume that we're going to be good hunters and practice all of our passive. Our, our, all of our passive scent control. So let's talk about applying ozonics now in, in hunting scenarios and how folks would go about doing that and setting it up and really kind of get in, I think, buddy, into like the application so folks understand when they do use it in a tree versus a ground blind, how they need to be setting this up. So first, you know, whenever you're getting into a tree stand, how are you setting this thing up and how are you kind of determining the way it needs to be set up? So like I said, I if I get to a tree stand, the first thing I'm going to do is is I for years I used to carry mine in with me and, and dump ozone behind me, but now we have a kinetic pack where I can wear it on my back or I would strap it to my back. But as soon as I get in the stand, I'm going to take my pack off and I'm going to mount my unit. I'm gonna, and if I typically I used to stand in a tree stand all the time to hunt, but what I've I've learned is that and taught myself to shoot sitting down is that I reduce my odor profile or my scent profile. You know, I'm I'm five foot eleven, but when I'm sitting, you know, I'm four foot something. Mm-hmm. And so that's much less surface area that I have to protect. Mm-hmm. I want the unit approximately eight to 12 inches above me in the downwind pointed in the downwind direction. That's the key point. You always deliver your ozone downwind. So people go, well, you know, a lot of people will ask that they'll say, well, you know, is it safe to breathe? Well, the first thing I would say in, to answer that is, is if you're smelling ozone, you don't have the setup right. And now with the caveat, every now and then the wind's going to swirl. And if you get a, a little bit of it, that, that just, you know, check it, make sure the wind hasn't shifted completely. But if you're smelling ozone constantly, then you have it set up wrong because you're wasting ozone. All of that ozone needs to be in the downwind airstream. So eight to 12 inches above me pointing in the downwind airstream pointing at a, about a 30 degree angle. Always on boost. Anytime you're hunting in an open air environment, put it on boost. You you want maximum concentration of ozone out there. As the winds pick up, right, you're going to grab that unit and you're going to change the angle of delivery. So ideally, you start out at a 30 degree angle. That's normal winds, you know, say three to three to 12 miles an hour. As it climbs above that 12 mile an hour mark, you begin to angle it down. And in in fact, as it gets higher you may pull out a tree and pull it as close to you from a mounting perspective as possible without it interfering with you drawing your bow or using your muzzle or, or shotgun or whatever it may be. Um, and push that angle of delivery down because what you're going to do at that point is try to force the ozone between you and, and the, the wind, right? Try to get whatever's leaving your body to encounter that ozone before it, it gets through the cloud of ozone and diluted by the wind. Um, and again, always on boost mode in an open air environment, whether it's on the ground and a brush blind, any, any type of open air environment, I run it on boost. Now for a ground blind scenario, a neat thing about a ground blind, I'll never tell any, anybody that this is a hundred percent, but it's as close as you can come when you have it set up properly. Ground blind is like, imagine a chimney in your living room. Um, if you light a fire in it and you adjust the flue correctly, smoke does not come into the living room. It goes out the chimney because you're, you're controlling and directing airflow. Right. Ground blinds are the same thing. 
So you determine wind direction, just like in a tree. What, what's the wind doing? Because I want to bump my ozone in the downwind airstream because that's where my odor is going. But with ground blinds, you can control that entry and exit about 95% of the time. So if I got a right to left wind, I crack a window high on the right, and that's my inlet, right? I'm letting air flow in. Then I'm going to, on the lower left-hand side, I'm going to crack another window. Now that becomes my exit. And I'm going to take and position my unit, whether it's on a tripod or, or I use the blind mount, and I'm going to hyper-ozonate that exit. In other words, every bit of my ozone is going to go right out that hole I create for the exit in that blind, just like a chimney flue scenario. And when you do that, it, it's, it's absolutely amazing what you can do and see and get away with in ground blinds. Right. That's from uh, an odor perspective. Yeah, that's pretty. Uh, <clears throat> just the the chimney analogy there is 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 spot on because if you can direct it that keenly, um, yeah. I mean, you know, I like to say if I have a good stand, I have a good wind, and I'm kind of set up to where I'm not going to get busted. It's like I always like to say that I'm, I'm kind of bulletproof, and that sounds about about as bulletproof as you're going to get as far as sense concerned. Oh is, yeah. Is that no, type of setup? It, yeah, it's amazing, and you know, we hunt a lot of pigs down here, and, and that's. That's, uh, and pigs, I don't know, a lot of guys haven't hunted pigs, but in my mind, a big, a big, a mature boar pig is a lot smarter than a deer and his nose is a lot better and, and they're patient. And when you can beat giant pig's nose, um, you, you've done something. I, I've hunted bear up in New Brunswick with it too. Wow. Um, and it's, it's amazing to see animals do what they shouldn't do. Like you said, you, you, um, I, Ten years I've been doing this, and I still have these moments where I'm just like, man, I can't freaking believe that just happened. Yeah. <laughs> nice, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and hey, pigs are good eating too, so you can't turn that down. That's for sure. Oh yeah. No, no, no. That's you can't turn that down. It's one Absolutely of the main, not. <laughs> one of the main food groups, I think, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> At least in this household, it is. <laughs> right. The, hey, uh, buddy, buddy. I actually, I actually have a question about. Um, I mean, you're talking about the prototype and, and lugging the batteries and whatnot. I mean, is that still, or are the, the 12 volts still your main source of power these days? Yeah, they, actually, they're still, well, you know, we've come a long way. In 2010, we introduced the HR200, which most people are familiar with. And we went from a five and a half pound uh, box, square steel framed box, mm-hmm. to, a, you know, a pound and a half lithium ion battery that was, you know, you could, you could literally carry in one hand um, and just an amazing difference in, in the machine. And, and it had a boost mode where the other one didn't and not really. Um, and then, so this year in January at the ATA, we introduced a new HR 300. We spent about five years perfecting this. And what we've got is a unit that is very similar in weight. Mm-hmm. It actually when you look at it, it actually feels smaller and looks smaller, but it's has a slightly larger footprint overall. It's just, a, it's, it's, a, you know, an optical illusion looking at it. Right. Um, and weighs maybe two tenths of a pound more with, with a battery in it, but lithium ion batteries where we were getting standard battery gets four hours in boost mode, five hours in, in standard. And then we have, we offer XL extended life batteries that double those run times, 10 hours in standard mode and eight hours in boost mode. Okay. Yeah. Said under two pounds. Yeah, because I was actually thinking about that. I mean, you know, especially during the rut, uh, if you're uh, if the user's anything like you know Clint and I and probably yourself, you're spending um, you know pretty much morning to dusk in a stand, 
uh, and just thinking about battery runtime, like you don't want to get mid hunt and all of a sudden you're out of power and the Ozonics unit is pretty much a non-factor at that point. So I was just kind of wondering how, how you guys kind of accommodated for that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, we introduced the XL battery just for that, that purpose because, you, you know, every unit comes with a standard battery. Right. And then the XL battery, battery technology is, a, you know, that's a, if you guys have ever bought batteries for camp, for your cameras or any of that, you know, computers, you guys understand mm-hmm. that battery technology is very expensive. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, it's a, it's, there's always this balance, right? We boost mode is pop- I'm a big, I'm a, one of those guys that, Hey, if a little works, a lot's probably great. And so I, I mean, whether, no matter what I'm doing, I'm running, I'm running my stuff on boost and chewing up batteries and right. Uh, right. So yeah, that was something that I was, you know, like jumping up and down for a while. Hey, we, we got to have something here because I'm, I can't carry 12 batteries. I can't afford 12 batteries, you know? Of course. Yeah. So, so that's actually pretty interesting too from a perspective of affordability and portability uh i mean with all the advances i don't know if you've seen um the uh, the new solar panels the roof solar panels uh that um they were just showcased a couple couple months ago i mean is solar power something that you guys have thought about or potentially might dive into in terms of um, a power source as opposed to um, just a standard battery you know, and it's certainly something that over the last several years um, that we have discussed at length because, you know, part of the the um, part of the neat thing is this adventure hunting and being in the woods or being in situations where you don't necessarily guys don't have necessarily have access to electricity. Right. But it, but it becomes when you when you realize what we do to convert. Um, you know, to create this, take a 12 volt battery and turn it into enough, these high voltage unit to crack these, these oxygen molecules, it becomes a real challenge, um, charge time wise and producing enough electricity to actually be effective, uh, long-term. So right now the technology is just not there for us to, to be able to do that feasibly yet. I'm, right. I'm hoping in the future that, 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 catches up and we're able to do something because i think it would be you know the dry wash bag right now gives the guy the ability who's elk hunting in the do-it-yourself elk hunt or whatever it may be where he's out there for eight to ten days on the mountainside he didn't have to carry as many clothes because he can treat his clothes you know right there in the dry wash bag right and so uh, remote power would be um, solar power would be awesome yeah it's almost yeah that, like- that would be yeah yeah, it's almost like you read my mind because as I'm sitting here, I was just thinking I'm I'm planning a, a DIY elk hunt in, in September in, in Montana. And I was just sitting here thinking, I was like, man, that would be that would be killer to be able to have something to where you could just descent every evening. Um, so it's it'd be interesting to see if the if the solar technology kind of come, comes around. But you, but you started mentioning a couple different products there. And like as you were talking earlier on, there was something you had mentioned about carrying it into the stand with you to kind of cover, to cover your centro as, as you walk in. And the one place that I was thinking for me that is even outside of the the hunting season use w- would be to check trail cameras and carry something with you oh. as you're checking trail cameras to make sure you're killing any of the scent that you're leaving as you're walking by. Even if you're being careful wearing your rubber boots and all that stuff, right. you're, you know, you're inevitably going to drop scent. Yeah, and, good call. Uh, that, yeah, that would definitely be one of the applications I would look for. But you know, so thinking about, you know, all the different ways that we can use Ozonics, let's talk about, I guess, some of the products you guys have. Can you share just a few of the different types of products? I know you mentioned the HR uh, 
300 is the new one, right, that's coming out, and you have the 200? That's correct. So the 200 has been our workhorse model. Our, um, you know, we've had it for um, five, six years now, um, and it's super effective. Uh, there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that machine. Uh, the, what we did with the 300 is, is what I was saying. There were certain environmental challenges with the 200. The only way to overcome them would have been to have added a second HR 200. Um, right. And so we were working hard on creating a unit um, that would produce more ozone and, and give you the ability to overcome some of those certain environmental challenges, like I said, like higher winds um, when they get above a, a certain level. And the only thing you could do is add a second unit. Well, the 300 produces 45% more ozone. So that gives you that ability and boost to, to, to produce the amount of ozone you need to overcome that. Second, we created what we call pulse technology, um, where we, we brought to market a bag five years ago where we could decent and deodorize your clothing using ozone. The problem is we very quickly realized if people don't understand ozone and understand how powerful it is, um, you have to really, really, there's a balance. And I I use this example, this analogy. If, If I, you take your clothes and you put them in your washing machine and you dump a gallon of bleach in there, you're going to ruin every bit of those clothes. But if you take a cup of bleach and you put it in the appropriate spot, and you run your washing machine on the right cycle, you're going to clean and deodorize those clothes. It's right. no different than ozone. If you just pump ozone indiscriminately onto your clothes for, for hours on end, you're going to cross a line between deodorization and sanitation into degradation. Hmm. And so we, you know, we spent five years working with that and studying that. And how do we create... Um, because ozone, it's not like a, a burling molecule. It's not going to, if your clothes are all wadded up in, in, a, in a bag, it, it's not going to get to all the odor because there's surface area that's not exposed. So we had to, we, we fought for this idea of how do we create airflow because airflow pushes that molecule around there and exposes your clothes. So we came up with a dry wash bag and, there's a lot of technology in there, and we're married with the HR 300 and pulse technology where we hyper-ozonate. In, in dry wash mode, it actually produces more ozone than even boost mode. Hmm. It just dumps ozone in there, and then it flushes it, and then it dumps ozone, and it's a 10-minute cycle. So when that 10 minutes is over, that machine shuts itself off. So if, you're, if you, know, you, you decide, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get these clothes going, you hit them, and then you go off to take care of something else, you come back, Take your clothes, turn them inside out, run it on the second cycle because now you're exposing new surface area. Like mm-hmm. I said, it's a, you, you wouldn't, it's like a closet. You make sure there's room in between. The, the HR 300 lays right in the top, upside down, dry wash mode, clean your clothes. Wow. Beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would have never thought to turn my clothes inside out. I usually put mine all the way cl- turned inside out because that's how I take them off, and then that's how my wife washes them, and she won't turn them out wrong, uh, right side out for me. But <laughs> yeah, I, I just wear them like that, so that when I get done, eventually the next week they're going to be right side out. <laughs> Every two weeks, I'm good to go. Yeah, right. I'm yeah, gonna have to employ that yeah. uh, that that approach then. So. You know, speaking to, you know, what I was mentioning earlier, which is, you know, for me, it's like I could see, you know, a use in checking trail cameras with this. You know, I know that you guys have an apparatus, a, a bag of, of, of sorts that you're able to carry, um, you know, a, 
and there's Onyx unit with you to kind of do just that. Can you speak a little bit about the, what that bag is and how that, how that works? Sure. We have what we call a kinetic pack, which again, it's a, it's another, um, product of, of a lot of time and discussion. And, and you'll see, you know, we, we don't really build backpacks and closets, but we do build platforms for the delivery of ozone, right? For optimizing delivery of ozone. So just like in the dry wash, there's a lot of technology inside that bag where you, where you see the baffles and the airflow and the married up with the pulse technology, the kinetics the same way. Um, I've, for years, I've strapped units to my backpack. I've done all. I've, I've walked in with one strap to my backpack, one in front of me because the wind going into the stand is, is dead wrong. I've done a lot of those things. But with the kinetic pack, what we were able to do is is make a, a pack that um, not only do you have a place to put your carry, like a great day pack that you can carry your stuff in, but for times when you don't need a pack, you can drop the bottom off and you've got a small pack up top that carries your HR 300 or your HR 200. And you'll notice inside of there, there's some technology that, that when you wear that, we've, we've worked a long time to come up with a, with a, a wedge or an angle in there that do, pushes that ozone into the airstream instead on the back of your head or into the back of your backpack. And so it's perfect for those times where, like like we talked about earlier, not everybody has access to thousands of acres or even hundreds of acres. Sometimes we have small properties, and it's so easy to burn those things up. And forget about hunting, like you said, putting out feed plots, checking trail cams. Every time you step foot into the woods, you're creating a, an odor footprint, right? You're educating your animals. And if you can if you can impact that in a positive way by reducing the size of your scent or odor footprint in the off season, that's only going to make you um, more successful when it gets time to get out there and, and, and chase the deer, your target deer. Yeah. That's, I mean, cause that was definitely one of the first applications I was thinking of just for me. Cause we have a few folks that hunt our, uh, the family farm that I that I do a fair amount of amount of hunting, and I was kind of like, man, I wish each of them would strap one of those on anytime <laughs> anytime they went anywhere because they don't usually uh, they don't always adhere to the most uh, uh, most up to date uh, scent control regimen. But buddy, I know we've kept you for a little while, and I want to I want to be sensitive to your time, and do appreciate you spending a spend a little bit of time with us to talk ozonics and ozone. But before we let you go, I always like to kind of ask our guests, you know, to kind of give us a uh, take us on a hunt with them and, uh, and, and, and have them tell us where they're going. It can be a memorable hunt of, you know, of something that you harvested or something, you know, of the one that got away, but tell us where we're hunting, what time of year and uh, every detail from the, the truck back to the tailgate. Well, man, you know, I, I've had a, I, you asked about my season earlier. And so I just, I just killed the largest free range deer in my life, um, in Saskatchewan. Well, that's so a good I, place I, to I, start. Perfect. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> it, it was, a. I, it's a great story, so I, I guess that's the one I'll tell. But um, in early November, actually, it starts. I got invited up there the last couple of years. I've just been unable to make it happen, and I was invited to go again this year. And I was able to uh, to get the time off of work and and make arrangements to to get up there. So I fly into uh, Saskatoon, uh, Saskatchewan, and meet meet up with my buddy. They uh, they actually own Canadian whitetail outfitters, which um, they they run some bear hunts and they run some excellent whitetail hunts up in northern Saskatchewan. So 
we fly into central Saskatchewan, which is Saskatoon. And then on Sunday we get in a pickup truck and we drive like four hours North. You, you drive up into this huge national, we, we would call it national forest. I don't know if they, it was, if it was what they call it, provincial land, maybe. Right. Um, but they have, they, they have what they run for their outfit or they buy these giant leases, I guess, for lack of a better word, but the, or the rights to them. And it's 237,000 acres that they, that they hunt on. Wow. And so we are four hours north. And then when we get there, we, we park all the vehicles and you get in UTVs and four wheelers. And it's like a nine mile ride on four wheel trails. You can't get vehicles in there. It, so they, nice. there's just these trails cut for UTVs and, and ATVs. And, nine miles to the lodge. So, I mean, this is really, really remote. Tons of poplars and willows and, and jack spruce and uh, very, very cool. So we get there and, you know, of course it's Sunday, so everybody's kind of amped up. We get ready to go the, the next morning and we were going to be filming the hunt and he told me, he said, the place that we're going to take these like 20 miles from here, from the lodge, by four-wheeler. So we have to get going early. We got a couple hunters to, to drop off. So we, we take off and it, it got lighter there a lot later. So we, we take off about six forty five in the morning and we start dropping some hunters off and we finally make our way out there. And I remember we get there and, and me and the, um, the guy that was filming for me, uh, we get into the blind and we start getting set up. And I remember looking at my watch going, man, it's eight Oh five already. You know, it's, but it was, it was just getting light and, um, I'm looking at this amazing, you know, landscape. It's just trees, it's real dense. And what we've got is we're in a ground blind and, and they, they have some alfalfa out there. You know, you, you guys have seen them hunt Canada on TV all the time. And that's basically, I mean, there's some alfalfa and maybe, uh, 20 yards out and, uh, very quickly, as soon as they drop us off, uh, a doe works her way in, and I hear another doe and a yearling. And it's, this was the second week of November, so it's like November 7th. And so the rut's really on. And uh, uh, I could hear like a, a little uh, doe bleating behind us, so it was pretty cool. You know, the sun's starting to come up now. And pretty soon, Kelsey, the cameraman, he, he, he like says, Hey, uh, I think I see a buck or something moving through. I'm like, where, you know, you kind of get excited. It's first morning. I hadn't been in the woods all year. It's first year in 12 years. I've missed opening season. So it's the first day in the woods with a bow in my hand to hunt. <laughs> and so I'm excited. Well, in walks this beautiful three and a half year old, 140 inch, 10 points G3 on the right side broke off, but it's just gorgeous. And the deer are so much, they're just giant bodies, just huge, you know, and, and this deer Literally, he's grunting, stepping in and grunting, and he's slip curling, and he's, and he's chasing these does around, and he just owns this bait pile. <laughs> just absolutely owns it. And it's so cool because you're seeing the, a lot of deer behavior that you see on TV all the time when you think about it. Deer's just full rut. Owns the, the pile, running the doe around there. This goes on for about 30 minutes, so it's probably 8.45, I don't know, and you know, and these are all day sits where you, they drop you off in the dark, they pick you up in the dark. Right. <laughs> and so we're just getting cranked up, and I'm like, man, this is awesome already, right? And uh, um, 
I'm watching that deer and all of a sudden, and if you guys in most of your audience will know too, you know, if you, you watch these deer and how they behave, he's on the pile. He's the biggest guy in the world. Nobody messes with him. And I'm looking at him and all of a sudden he just drops his head, turns and walks off. Right. <laughs> so instantly I'm like, he just, you know, he, he just got punked out by something. So either some of the wolves we heard howling showed up, which I, he, I believe he would have acted very differently or right. there's a giant buck somewhere because he's a, he's a good size, beautiful buck, man. Any other time I'd be running an arrow through him, but I'm, it's my first morning in Canada. I'm, I'm going to wait, you know? Right. And, uh, um, he just walks off. So I'm like, I look over at the cameraman. I'm like, Hey, something's up. And so he kind of, I'm up against the ground blind on the left side and I can't really see anything to the left and because it's all blacked out. And there's a little crack, and he kind of sits up in his chair, and all of a sudden I see his eyes get real wide, and he's just like, oh, my gosh. He just sits back down, and he mouths, shooter buck, you know. And I'm just like, you know, how do you know that, right? Right. But um, I'm like, I can't see him. So I try to lean up, and I'm like, where's he at? He's like, well, this buck moved down away from us, along to our left, and he moved down in the brush. He's about 30 yards in the brush. And he went down about 40 yards straight down with him. He's just scent checking the, the area. And looking for does is what he was doing. And he, But he went down with him to scent check the area. And he milled around, and I could see his feet, but I couldn't see him. I never At this point, I still hadn't seen his rack. But I know that Kelsey was like, oh, man, that's a, that's a, that's a shooter, no doubt. So I'm kind of getting nervous that he's just going to leave, you know, whatever. But he – he says he's coming back. So he works back up all the way up to just to our left at about 15 yards. I still haven't seen him. And he's like, here he comes. And this deer walks straight in. And I mean, I know why he said he's a shooter. Cause the second I seen him, it's like one of those things where you go, it's a no doubter, right? That right. I'm, I'm going to shoot him. If I get the opportunity, no questions asked. Well, he walks straight through at 18 yards and never stops. And I don't try to stop him. Cause I'm just like, you know, he, his ears were kind of pinned back. And so I'm thinking he's just pushing that other buck off the pile. Cause I, I could still see the other buck about 20 yards out. Well, that buck works his way around behind us. And I, I know this is, you might've wanted a short story, but I'm going to, no, this is good. Give, no, no. <laughs> keep going. Keep yeah. going. <laughs> and, uh, so that buck, the, the younger buck works behind us. I could hear him walk straight behind us and over to my left. And I can see this buck, He's 10 yards out. There's no shot. And I remember getting a, a stern talking to because I've never been one to be patient in those situations. I'm usually like, okay, I'm shooting this animal. It's done. But I was told very clearly, look, the cameraman's a boss and you don't shoot unless he says, you know, gives you the green light. And I, and I know he can't see the deer over there. And I didn't really have a shot at that angle, but I'm, I'm like most of us, I'm panicking now because the biggest deer of my life is standing right there in Canada. I'm just freaking out, right? Well, he stops and he turns around and it's just like on a movie. I mean, he walks right back and stands and I come to full draw. And when I drew, he turns and looks straight at us. I guess it maybe heard, heard me or, or the motion or whatever, but he's staring straight at us. And I anchor with my first knuckle in my right ear. That's that's my anchor point. So I press it in there hard too. And so I'm I'm on this deer. I mean I'm I am anchored in and I'm ready to go. And I'm waiting for this guy to say, Yeah, okay, good. And I hear him say something, and I'm like, What? 
And he's like, <laughs> he says something, and I'm like, what? And he just goes, kill him. And so I, I let him rip, you know? And uh, the first thing out of my mouth, like, what, the way I seen it is, it looked to me like I hit him forward. I'm thinking, oh, it's a giant big body deer if I hit him. And I got a, a horrible story about last year hitting a, hitting a giant deer square on the shoulder. Hmm. But so I, so that comes out of my mouth. Oh, I think I hit him forward. And he's like, oh, no. But I did notice when the deer turned and stepped, he just, I mean, blood just blew out of the side. So I'd like, he's, he's good. But I couldn't see it, but the, on camera, the cameraman could see him. He, he ran down about 40 yards, and he just literally plows a tree, T-bones it, just smokes a tree <laughs> and and is down, but I can't see that. And he couldn't see him go down. He, he, he could see where he ran. You know, and at that point, we're looking at the footage, and he, I, I was still worried I hit him forward, and he's like, no, and he took a picture of the thing, and he's like, dude, you hit him perfect. And long story short, uh, we went down, we, we had about a 40 yard blood trail and right where he had hit that tree, there was a little depression there and he had fell over and, and, uh, just a gorgeous 10 point, both brows split deep. Wow. So I guess technically a 12, but he's mainframe 10 and, uh, just super long main beams that come way out. I call them crowbar cause both his main beams come out and then they dip like the end of a crowbar and come up. Right. Um, and, he scored, you know, which I'm, I'm not a, a big guy at scoring, but it, it, he just, he, he scored 173 gross. And just, you can't, you can't ask for more than that. And it was, I looked at my watch when it was all done. It was nine o'clock. So my season this year is 55 <laughs> minutes long. <laughs> Man, that's fine. Gonna, that is totally fine. Yeah. If yeah. You're gonna do it. You, you did it in style. That's for sure. That, and that's a, and that's a uh, buck of a lifetime, man. So congrats to you, dude. That's a, that's a killer buck. No, no, man, it, it wasn't. I, and I'll say something. First off, that place is amazing. You know, it, that is truly a lot of people talk about places that, oh, a 200-inch deer can walk out. Well, you're talking about a place, 237,000 acres, that, that some of them deer have never seen a human. And it truly is a place where you have no earthly idea what can walk out in front of you um, and can be 200-plus inches just amazing place. And they do such a great job there. The, the Dean and Jason and the crew, unbelievable place. I, I, I highly recommend it. Nice. Man. Well, that was yeah. a, that was a great story to, uh, to end on. And thanks for sharing it. And, and again, congrats to you, man. That's a, that's a great deer. But before we let you go, um, if you wouldn't mind just telling the folks out there listening where they could go, uh, to find more about Ozonics. Man, come to our website website at um, ozonicshunting.com. We've got a ton of uh, YouTube videos uh, also on our YouTube channel. We'll, we'll be adding more and more of those uh, that talk about application, talk about product usage. And, um, so that's uh, that's where they can come. And, and obviously, any questions, post them up there and, and uh, love to uh, talk about ozone. Yeah, and for any of the folks out there listening, uh, we'll also be placing all the uh, social media links as well as your website link in the uh, in the show notes, so they can always find you uh, there in this uh, in the uh, in the blog post as well. But uh, buddy, I appreciate your time. We kept you for long enough. I'll let you get back to your to your normal duties here of the uh, of the evening. I'm going to go try to watch the uh, Patriots beat up on the Ravens to help out my Steelers a little bit tonight. Boom. Yes, sir. 
Uh, there you go. Well, guys, man, thank you so much for having me. And, and um, on a side note, man, I appreciate what you guys do to, to bring uh, the hunting out here to, to everybody on a regular basis, uh, a different perspective. And, and uh, again, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We're happy to do it, man. And, and glad to, uh, glad to meet folks like you. Uh, we'll talk soon. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. We'd like to thank Buddy for joining us. Be sure to check out all of Ozonics gear and information at ozonicshunting.com. Also want to make sure we thank our partners at Exodus Outdoor Gear. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please feel free to share with a friend and make sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, and or Google Play. Last but certainly not least, I want to thank all of you and wish every one of you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And until next time, we'll see you. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. <laughs> Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.